Well, good morning and welcome to Local Matters. Uh, we are excited today to have as our guest Dr. Jeff Roberts, who is Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Tennessee Tech University and past chairman of the History Department. And uh, he also serves as faculty athletics representative at the university. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. Well, it's always great to uh, to get you in and to uh, pick up some opinions on on things, including current world events. So we'll we'll do a little bit about all of that. Sounds well, good. Some of our folks may not uh, may not know you, so tell everybody a little bit about your background. Well, I was just thinking today, I moved to Cookville in 1991, so sometime in this next year, I will have lived half of my life here. That's amazing. I um, mean, yeah, it's great. It's a great place. Um, part of that, I grew up in Illinois. I went to school for four years in New York and then nine years um, at Ohio State, and yes, they were lucky to get into the playoffs. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> but I, again, I came here in 91 for the history department uh, to teach Russia and the Middle East and World War II history. And I've been here ever since. That's great, and and maybe we'll get a chance today to talk a little bit about the the, the Middle East, but even more importantly, probably uh, Ukraine, and um, and a little bit of current Russian history. There, I am teaching Russian history this year, so it's it, very fresh on my mind right it's, now. Uh, it's being written as we speak, isn't it? My class had a great discussion about Vladimir Putin for our last day of class. They all read a couple of books about him and. Um, they they learned some very interesting, if disturbing, things. Yeah, I bet they had some uh, eye-opening uh, uh, studies there. Well, uh, let's let's talk about Tennessee Tech and particularly about the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, you serve as dean. You've been in that college a long time as a uh, a department chair, as a, one of the the leaders of the college. Um, and it is, in some ways, the most complex of all the colleges at the university. Tell us about it. Well, there are nine departments to start with. Biology, chemistry, English, earth sciences, foreign languages, history, physics, mathematics, and sociology, political science. Within there, you have over 30 degrees and programs. Uh, we teach the most student credit hours of any college on campus, um, and there is a tremendous amount of diversity within that group. Well, even, uh, you know, having a – and, again, I came from a college that was pretty focused. It, it had uh, uh, a few different majors in it, but it was all focused on business. And here you've got uh, English professors and physics professors and uh, others in the same room. Absolutely. Absolutely, and very different budgets, very different scheduling issues, uh, even very different facilities. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And you need laboratories for some of them, and for others you need big classrooms, and uh, it has to be a, a bit of a challenge. There, there's quite a bit of juggling that goes on. Well, you've been through a period where we've had the pandemic, we've we've gone to virtual learning, and then to to hybrid learning, and now we're back to a quasi-classroom environment, primarily classroom, I think, for undergraduates. But even there, there's there's some virtual and some hybrid still around, isn't there? Absolutely, and we still have some students who prefer that. We try to accommodate that, but we, we also want to give students the on-campus experience. 
There's something about that that is just special, and and the records prove that students do better in that kind of environment. Um, one of the things I've been most excited about recently is a revival of student travel. I'm so thankful that we're able to put students on the road again. We've we we just sent some chemists to Puerto Rico. We sent some biologists to Guam. We sent some earth scientists out to the Colorado Rockies, and the students just love those experiences. Absolutely. And those experiences are, are great for their education. Absolutely. It gets them away from a just a focus on Middle Tennessee or, or their own experiential background. It truly expands their horizons. We've talked before about international exchange, and, and I know you, you do – your college does both short-term lab kind of experiences where they may go for a week or 10 days – and then that broadens on out to more than a year of experience. Tell us about the kind of different experiences students might have. Well, as you mentioned, if there are some short-term exchanges where, for example, you take students over spring break and you go do some World War II battlefields. I've led a few of those experiences myself. Um, students can sign up for entire semesters abroad. And I bet I could name 30 or 35 countries where they have been to, primarily in Europe, but also some in Asia, some in South America. It just depends on their interests. And there's pretty much everything in between. Um, There are some who might go for a summer. There are some who go on co-op exchange type of programs. Others who do intensive learning, sometimes intensive language study. We offer a lot of things. And, And the great thing about Tennessee Tech's study abroad program is we always provide the airfare. And then the students pay their tuition here, and that transfers to whatever school they're going to. So it is a great financial deal as well as tremendous intellectual experience. It is a phenomenal experience for them, and I've interviewed students in in Germany and in in uh, in some other countries, and it's just such an eye opener to them. They see things that they would never experience in this country. Absolutely, and they learn that not everybody in the world drives cars like we do. <laughs> Absolutely, they, you, know, you go to Amsterdam, you're going to see bicycle parks instead of. Uh, parking garages, and they walk a lot more than we do. They do, and they use public transportation a lot more. The trains run on time over there. Well, it's, um, it's good for them to get that, that kind, of, kind of experience. Well, let's talk a little bit about the year. We've just finished 2022, and we're starting up into 2023. What were some of the big, big challenges on campus this year? Coming back together was one of them, obviously. To be sure. Um, One of the greatest things was I got to oversee the hiring of one of the largest classes of freshman faculty that we've ever had. Uh, We had been postponing some hires waiting for our new science building to open. And now that it's fully opened, we are stocking those laboratories with people who can make use of all that specialized equipment. And that has been wonderful. And that, that building itself is spectacular. Um, I don't know that I can do it justice over the radio. I think you really have to go see it because it's so airy, so open, so so pretty compared to what you would think of a science building. And it's welcoming. I mean, oh, it, you, absolutely. There, there are lounges in it for students to uh, relax while they're in there and meet with their teams. For sure. It's even, I think it, it is the best smelling science building in the world (laughs) because someone had the genius to put in an Einstein's bagels on the first floor and it just keeps the place smelling wonderful all the time. Quite a contrast 
um, to good old Foster Hall. And, and Foster Hall served its purpose for it many, did. many years. And there was a time when it was state of the art. And a lot of people have very fond memories of the place, but it is it is going to go away pretty soon. Uh, it had um, it had served that purpose and well beyond. Yes. And you talk about Einstein bagels. That is not what you smelled when you walked into uh, no, Foster. No, in fact, I, I'm going to sort of give a little shout out to the Ag School. They they opened a new poultry science building on December the second, and I, I'm I'm happy for them. And it it really made my day because December second happened to be my paternal grandmother's birthday, my grandma Beulah, and the first job I think I ever did as a child was helping her collect eggs. From our hen house. From the hen house. And I've my job that. was to get the ones where the hens had left, and she would get the ones where the hens had to be removed. And I can kind of still remember how that place smelled. <laughs> Not sure I'll ever forget that. But it no, brought that, back really good memories to, to celebrate with, with ag. Well, agriculture is doing a lot of good things, and they're doing some collaborations with other colleges. But, yeah, um, yeah I, uh, uh, Dean Smith and I were talking about the um, – <laughs> the the poultry science and some of the other activities they had going on. So yeah, we're hoping to build an astro- astronomy center uh, out there on the Oakley Farm. It would be for a the physics place department for it. There's Absolutely. no question about that. Mm-hmm. It would. Well, uh, the the environmental science building, the what was called the Wet Sciences Building for many years, it's long overdue. It's been in the planning stages for 20 years. Yes, it has, and we we so welcome it. And we're using it for all kinds of good things. Um, I know, for example, the athletics department is using it as a place to sometimes take recruits and, and have discussions there because it is just so new and so welcoming. It makes a great uh, statement on the western end of the the main campus. Um, uh, although anymore, you and I know that as the western end of the campus, but a current student would say, well, that's almost in the middle of the campus today. Well, and and we should shout out to Harry Stonecipher. Uh, as part of that complex for that new building, uh, Mr. Stonecipher funded a big part of what now is called the Stonecipher Auditorium, I believe. But right, uh, contains two of our largest classrooms, yeah, and they are both state of the art. Just beautiful, beautiful buildings. So there is just a a lot to be proud of, and it truly is one of the new landmarks on campus. And uh, and I guess uh, campus visitors, if they can get their car visitor's permit, could park and go in there. And um, um, I, I would welcome everyone, I would encourage everyone to take a tour of the building, just even on your own. You can just walk across its three floors and see all that's there to offer. And it's exciting. It is not the old kind of laboratory science building you would have seen no, in fact, I've, I've taken the chairs of the departments on three separate tours of some of the specialized facilities. Uh, the ion beam lab that physics runs, um, the um, 3D printing facility that's run by um, chemistry, and um, some of the earth sciences laboratory uh, equipment. And it is just, uh, again, you have to see it to believe it, so... We encourage folks to find a way to get in there, and and uh, we'll find somebody to give you a tour and tell tell everybody how excited they are. I'm glad to do them myself when I get the chance. I'm and happy done, to take parents I've and done one potential myself. students around. Yeah. 
well, this is Local Matters. We're talking to to Dr. Jeff Roberts, uh, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and we're going to take a quick break. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Well, good morning and welcome to Local Matters. Uh, we are excited today to have as our guest Dr. Jeff Roberts, who is Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Tennessee Tech University and past chairman of the History Department. And uh, he also serves as faculty athletics representative at the university. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. Well, it's always great to... Uh, to get you in and to uh, pick up some opinions on on things, including current world events. So we'll we'll do a little bit about all of that. Sounds well, good. Some of our folks may not uh, may not know you, so tell everybody a little bit about your background. Well, I was just thinking today. I moved to Cookville in 1991, so sometime in this next year, I will have lived half of my life here. That's amazing. I um, mean, yeah, it's great. It's a great place. Uh, prior to that, I grew up in Illinois. I went to school for four years in New York and then nine years um, at Ohio State. And, yes, they were lucky to get into the playoffs. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> but, I, again, I came here in 91 for the history department uh, to teach Russia and the Middle East and World War II history. And I've been here ever since. That's great. And and maybe we'll get a chance today to talk a little bit about the the, the Middle East, but even more importantly, probably uh, Ukraine. And um, and a little bit of current Russian history. There's, I am teaching Russian history this year, so it's very fresh on my mind right it's, now. Uh, it's being written as we speak, isn't it? My class had a great discussion about Vladimir Putin for our last day of class. They all read a couple of books about him, and um, they, they learned some very interesting, if disturbing, things. Yeah, I'll bet they had some uh, eye-opening uh, uh, studies there. Well, uh, let's let's talk about Tennessee Tech and particularly about the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, you serve as dean. You've been in that college a long time as a uh, a department chair, as a, one of the the leaders of the college, um, and it is in some ways the most complex of all the colleges at the university. Tell us about it. Well, there are nine departments to start with. Biology, chemistry, English, earth sciences, foreign languages, history, physics, mathematics, and sociology, political science. Within there, you have over 30 degrees and programs. Uh, we teach the most student credit hours of any college on campus. Um, and there is a tremendous amount of diversity within that group. Well, even, uh, you know, having a – and, again, I came from a college that – 
was pretty focused. It it had uh, uh, a few different majors in it, but it was all focused on business. And here you've got uh, English professors and physics professors and uh, others in the same room. Absolutely. Absolutely. And very different budgets, very different scheduling issues, uh, even very different facilities. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And you need laboratories for some of them, and for others you need big classrooms. And uh, it has to be a, a bit of a challenge. There, there's quite a bit of juggling that goes on. Well, you've been through a period where we've had the pandemic, we've we've gone to virtual learning and then to to hybrid learning, and now we're back to a quasi-classroom environment, primarily classroom, I think, for undergraduates. But even there, there's there's some virtual and some hybrid still around, isn't there? Absolutely, and we still have some students who prefer that. We try to accommodate that, but we, we also want to give students the on-campus experience. There's something about that that is just special, and and the records prove that students do better in that kind of environment. Um, one of the things I've been most excited about recently is a revival of student travel. I'm so thankful that we're able to put students on the road again. We've we we just sent some chemists to Puerto Rico. We sent some biologists to Guam. We sent some earth scientists out to the Colorado Rockies, and the students just love those experiences. Absolutely. And those experiences are, are great for their education. Absolutely. It gets them away from a just a focus on Middle Tennessee or, or their own experiential background. It truly expands their horizons. We've talked before about international exchange, and, and I know you, you do, your college does both short-term lab kind of experiences where they may go for a week or 10 days, and then that broadens on out to more than a year of experience. Tell us about the kind of different experiences students might have. Well, as you mentioned, if there are some short-term exchanges where, for example, you take students over spring break and you go do some World War II battlefields. I've led a few of those experiences myself. Um, students can sign up for entire semesters abroad. And I bet I could name 30 or 35 countries where they have been to, primarily in Europe, but also some in Asia, some in South America. It uh, just depends on their interests. And there's pretty much everything in between. Um, there are some who might go for a summer. There are some who go on co-op exchange type of programs, others who do intensive learning, sometimes intensive language study. We offer a lot of things. And, and the great thing about Tennessee Tech's study abroad program is we always provide the airfare. And then the students pay their tuition here, and that transfers to whatever school they're going to. So it is a great financial deal as well as tremendous intellectual experience. It is a phenomenal experience for them, and I've interviewed students in in Germany and in in uh, in some other countries, and it's just such an eye opener to them. They see things that they would never experience in this country. Absolutely, and they learn that not everybody in the world drives cars like we do. <laughs> Absolutely, they, you, know, you go to Amsterdam, you're going to see bicycle parks instead of. Uh, parking garages, and they walk a lot more than we do. They do, and they use public transportation a lot more. The trains run on time over there. Well, it's, um, it's good for them to get that, that kind, of, kind of experience. Well, let's talk a little bit about the year. We've just finished 2022, and we're starting up into 2023. What were some of the big, big challenges on campus this year? Coming back together was one of them, obviously. 
to be sure. Um, one of the greatest things was I got to oversee the hiring of one of the largest classes of freshman faculty that we've ever had. Uh, we had been postponing some hires waiting for our new science building to open. And now that it's fully opened, we are stocking those laboratories with people who can make use of all that specialized equipment. And that has been wonderful. And that, that building itself is spectacular. Um, I don't know that I can do it justice over the radio. I think you really have to go see it because it's so airy, so open, so so pretty compared to what you would think of a science building. And it's welcoming. I mean, oh, you, absolutely. There, there are lounges in it for students to uh, relax while they're in there and meet with their teams. For sure. It's even, I think it, it is the best smelling science building in the world <laughs> because someone had the genius to put in an Einstein's bagels on the first floor and it just keeps the place smelling wonderful all the time. Quite a contrast um, to good old Foster Hall. And, and Foster Hall served its purpose for it many, did. many years. And there was a time when it was state of the art. And a lot of people have very fond memories of the place, but it is it is going to go away pretty soon. Uh, it had uh, it had served that purpose and well beyond. Yes. And you talk about Einstein bagels. That is not what you smelled when you walked into uh, no, Foster. No, in fact, I, I want to sort of give a little shout out to the Ag School. They they opened a new poultry science building on December the second. And I, I'm I'm happy for them, and it it really made my day because December second happened to be my paternal grandmother's birthday, my grandma Beulah, and the first job I think I ever did as a child was helping her collect eggs from our hen house. From the hen house, and I've my done job that. was to get the ones where the hens had left, and she would get the ones where the hens had to be removed, and I can kind of still remember how that place smelled. <laughs> Not sure I'll ever forget that, but it no, brought that, back really good memories to, to celebrate with, with ag. Well, agriculture is doing a lot of good things, and they're doing some collaborations with other colleges. But, yeah, um, yeah I, uh, uh, Dean Smith and I were talking about the, um, <laughs> the, the poultry science and some of the other activities they had going on. So Yeah, we're hoping to build an astro astronomy center uh, out there on the Oakley Farm. It would be for a the physics place department. for it. There's Absolutely. no question about that. <laughs> it would. Well, uh, the, the environmental science building, the, what was called the Wet Sciences Building for many years, it's long overdue. It's been in the planning stages for 20 years. Yes, it has. And we, we so welcome it. And we're using it for all kinds of good things. Um, I know, for example, the athletics department is using it as a place to sometimes take recruits and, and have discussions there because it is just so new and so welcoming. It makes a great uh, statement on the western end of the, the main campus. Um, uh, although anymore, you and I know that as the western end of the campus, but a current student would say, well, that's almost in the middle of the campus today. Well, and, and we should shout out to Harry Stonecipher. Uh, as part of that complex for that new building, uh, Mr. Stonecipher funded a big part of what now is called the Stonecipher Auditorium, I believe. But, right. Uh, Contains two of our largest classrooms, yeah, and they are both state-of-the-art. Just beautiful, beautiful buildings. So there is just a, a lot to be proud of, and it truly is one of the new landmarks on campus and um, and I guess uh, K 
campus visitors, if they can get their car visitor's permit, could park and go in there. And um, I, I would welcome everyone, I would encourage everyone to take a tour of the building. It's even on your own. You can just walk across its three floors and see all that's there to offer. And it's exciting. It is not the old kind of laboratory science building you would have seen. No. In fact, I've, I've taken the chairs of the departments on three separate tours of some of the specialized facilities. Uh, the ion beam lab that physics runs, um, the um, 3D printing facility that's run by um, chemistry, and um, oh, some of the earth sciences laboratory uh, equipment. And it is just, uh, again, you have to see it to believe it. So we encourage folks to find a way to get in there, and and uh, we'll find somebody to give you a tour and tell tell everybody how excited they are. I'm glad to do them myself when I get the chance. I'm and happy done, to take parents I've and done one potential myself. students around. Yeah. Uh, well, this is Local Matters. We're talking to, to Dr. Jeff Roberts, uh, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and we're going to take a quick break. Well, welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking about education matters today, particularly matters at Tennessee Tech University with the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, Dr. Jeff Roberts. And uh, Jeff, we've talked about your role in the history department and a little bit about your role as as Dean and the really complex group that you you lead. But let's uh, let's talk about that other role you have. You are a FAR, and there aren't many faculty across the United States that can claim to be called a FAR. Well, there's typically but only one at every university. Some it, have two. You know, some and, of the larger schools. And a FAR is a faculty athletics representative. That's correct. Tell us about that role and and why it's why it's important. Yeah, well, the FAR is the, the go-between of the NCAA and the athletics department. We have three main roles that we always try to keep in mind. One is to ensure student-athlete welfare. Uh, one is to ensure what's called institutional control to make sure that we're running our own department, essentially. And then third, to maintain academic integrity, to make sure that our student-athletes are actually getting the education we promised them. Um, beneath that... Uh, there are there are hundreds of things that we can do as as an FAR. Um, I'm currently serving on the national board. Uh, I just got back from a mid-November meeting in Indianapolis where we uh, attempted to educate folks about some of the goings-on in the NCAA right now. Um, you mentioned how interesting a time it is in the world right now. It is an extremely interesting time in athletics. There is so much change going on. In fact, there's not a lot that isn't changing right now. Yeah, the NCAA has gone a shocking period in some ways, uh, probably shocking to some of the member institutions anyway. For uh, sure. But it is it is profound change. Absolutely. Um, just I mean, transfer rules alone provide you a really good example. I mean, take a look, for example, at Tennessee Tech's men's basketball team. The majority of the team are transfers. The overwhelming majority of the team are transfers. And that's true of just about every team in the OVC right now. It's changed the landscape. So how does that work? How does a, a student who's matriculated at a, at a school working on that athletic team and all of a sudden decides they want to go to Tennessee Tech? Well, I will tell you, it's easier if you are a graduate transfer. If you have gotten your degree and want to go to a different school to get a graduate degree, it, it's your choice. You can go wherever you like, and the NCAA is more than willing to support that. 
Um, schools are, are more than happy with that. It's a bigger challenge if you haven't finished yet and you're just looking to transfer because maybe you want more playing time or maybe you want a different system or whatever. Then you have to put your name in the transfer portal and see if anybody will salute it, so to speak. And the majority of the people who put their names in don't get an offer. Um, so we, we, we caution our student athletes before they do that, that, you know, maybe the bird in the hand is better than whatever else might be out there. Um, but again, for the grad students, it is proven quite a boon. Um, and that's well and good. But for that, that undergraduate that, um, puts his or her name in the portal and then, um, doesn't get a look, uh, there are no penalties at the local level for that, right? Well, you might have have just lost your own scholarship here. I mean, if in, the minute you enter the transfer portal, the coach, your coach, has the right to cut you off. How about that? Yeah, so that's that's something to keep in mind. Now there there are some, and this one of the the drawbacks, particularly at our level, is you know if somebody goes all OVC and then decides to enter the transfer portal. Because they want to play in a in a different league, um, there some of those po- people get grabbed up. Uh, sure. It wasn't terribly long ago that we had somebody win uh, win the OVC cross country championship, and they got grabbed up by an SEC team and went down there and won the SEC cross country championship. Wow! So things like that do happen. <laughs> well, and it, it does give the um, give the student athlete opportunity. Freedom to uh, that's what so much of this change is about. It's about getting some of the money to the athletes. Um, you know, you have a situation where the coach is making millions and the student athletes are just getting room and board. That's that's where the attorneys are saying where they're crying foul. That's where the, the Congress is crying foul as well. Right. And that's that's where the change is coming. We're trying to get more money to the student athletes while still ensuring fair competition. And that's that's the challenge. That's the rub. And we should quickly say there aren't coaches at Tech making millions. Oh no! While, goodness uh, <laughs> no! <laughs> Not but, at all. <laughs> yeah, it. it uh, well, those are, as you say, just everywhere you look, there are there are changes. Yes. <laughs> um, the OVC has changed profoundly in the last two years. For sure. Um, we've got three new schools. Um, Lindenwood University in St. Louis. I, I spent a lot of time at this last meeting talking to the FAR there. I think they are a very good addition to our conference. They bring a lot of teams. Um, their football team gave us a, a very, very good homecoming match. Um, they, one, one point difference, if I remember. It was a very good game. Yeah, I, I, they, they seem to bring a lot to the table. Um, Southern Indiana... I never realized they were quite as as much of a track power as they were, but they they had both medalists at our recent cross country championships that we hosted out here at the high school. Um, and then Little Rock, um, Little Rock has traditionally been a pretty strong basketball power. We'll see. We'll see how they do in the league this year. So three new ones. Uh, the, the former members of the LVC that moved on have moved to bigger conferences or. Different conferences. Different anyway. conferences, yeah. Two of them went to the Missouri Valley, Murray State and Belmont. Although, again, Murray is still playing football in the OVC. That's a little bit complicated. Um, and then the other three went to the Atlantic Sun, although Jacksonville State then immediately jumped into, I think it's the Sun Belt, 
Um, but there, there's, um, there's a lot of movement going on there. <laughs> and that's part of what the NCAA is trying to keep their arms around. There's just movement everywhere. Yeah, and there's, there's going to be a tremendous amount of change in this, this coming year as, as various schools are moving up. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I like to joke that, you know, the, the conferences don't even have names that are right anymore. I mean, the Big Ten has 14 teams and the Big 12 currently has 10, but they're soon going to have, I think, 14 or 16 or something in the Atlantic 10 and had like 15 a year. It's just at least whatever else you want to say about about the Pacific Coast, at least they keep their names straight when they, they were Pac-8 and then Pac-10 and now they're Pac-12 and I guess they'll go back to Pac-10 if UCLA and USC are really going to jump to the Big Ten. So anyway. And the Southeastern Conference doesn't isn't all Southeastern anymore. No, I mean they've moved into Missouri and, and, and further into Texas. Into but Texas, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're still basically Southeast. We can give them that. <laughs> Well, a lot of people talk about all of the big revenues at big schools and how it can can dominate um, the school in some cases, and, and that's part of what the institutional control uh, standards are about in the in the NCAA. But um, there's just such a wide difference between many schools like Tennessee Tech and the kind of school that has multiple television revenue sources, uh, the the big SEC schools or Ohio State. Sure. They're just in a different league, aren't they? Very much so. Um, maybe the best way to see it, go go to their athletics pages and, and check them out and compare, for example, the number of people they might have on nutrition staff as opposed to maybe having one nutritionist at, at a, a school in the OVC. Um, look at the number of teams they have. Um, look at the number of coaches they have. Uh, look at the number of auxiliary services. One of the one of the big things on the minds of the NCAA right now is is mental health, and making sure student athletes are are well provided for in that area. And I I applaud those efforts. But again, for some schools to be able to afford all the various specialties, while others are trying to find, you know, one or two people, it's it, you know the differences are profound. They're striking. Well, and and another um, commentary I've heard recently is the um, the skepticism about money games, or what mm. we at at a school like Tennessee Tech would call a money game. But basically, a smaller school will will play a big name school and share in the ticket revenue or the the overall revenue for that day, mm-hmm. and bring some money home. Oh, and, and hopefully not too many injured players, right? Right, and it's it's, it's a critical element in supporting FCS football <laughs> programs. I mean, you can you can bring home five six hundred thousand dollars by playing a big name school, and that really helps your budget. Um, I think overall the experience can be more positive. I mean, to get to play before those big stadiums is one, and you you always have the hope of pulling off the upset. Which has um, happened in this year. There were eight this year, yeah. eight, eight times the FCS won. And that just you know really makes your day. So, you know, it's – I mean, there, there, is, there, there, there is the criticism that, you know, you're just going to go get slaughtered. And, yeah, sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's, it and, truly is a, 
And, you know, sometimes you just you make a few plays, you give them a good game, and you walk out of there with a big paycheck, and that's not a bad deal either. So, And, <laughs> and that's the game the student-athlete is going to talk about. Very I played at Tennessee Tech, and we played Georgia, or we played Oregon. Yeah, that's the, the game they remember. They do, and and then they remember their own conference championships, and that's important that our conf- conference can give them a good championship experience too. Well, <laughs> it's um, it, I I wish we had time to talk about the student athletes themselves and all the the contributions they make and the challenges they face. Because they truly have uh, have two different roles: one full time in athletics, and one full time as a student. And uh, I just I'm I'm amazed at how well they do it. But we're out of time, and we have uh, we've just got to get you back again soon and and continue some of these conversations. Luckily, world history is going to continue to evolve, and uh, we won't have to wait too many months to to get you back. Uh, This is Local Matters, and we have been talking to Dr. Jeff Roberts. Jeff, it's always great to have you you on, and uh, thank you for taking time to do it. You're very welcome.